Our scripture reading today from the 15th chapter of Luke. It's on page 740 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. It's Luke 15 and verses 11 through 31. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starved to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has been back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. No one ever seemed to have less of a good time because Jesus was present. I don't know that we could say that about all of his followers. But nobody seemed to have less of a good time when Jesus was present. He did his best work at parties. We read the Bible and Jesus is always turning up where there's food and drink and laughter and everybody's having a good time and so is Jesus. 
In fact, because of these associations, he was often accused of being a a friend of sinners. That was not a compliment. His first miracle, as recorded in the Gospels, was at a party. A wedding celebration in the town of Cana in Galilee. And the subject that Jesus talked about more than any other subject, the one that he lectured on the most, was the kingdom of God. And when he described the kingdom of God, he often said, well, it's, like a, it's like a big party. The most marvelous banquet where all are invited. And one time after Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God, describing it as a great party, he said that if, if not enough people show up, then we'll send people out into the the highways and the hedgerows to gather them up and and to compel them to come in. And at the end of time, when pain and grief and suffering and injustice are no more, the redeemed of God will take their very special places around the table to enjoy together the marriage feast of the Lamb, one great party for all eternity. Well, I think probably the most popular parable that Jesus ever told, the one that is read the most is is about a party and two characters. I'm going to call them the party animal and the party pooper. Party animal first. He's better known as the prodigal son or the younger son. And the younger son goes to his father and says, Dad, give me my share of the estate. I want what's coming to me. In other words, divide the property up and give me now what will be mine someday. Now when he makes this request, this is when we see that in spite of this being a story about a party, It's also a story about death. A death must take place for an inheritance to be divided. The only way that's going to happen is the father's death. So the boy, in essence, is saying to his father, Dad, you really are dead to me. I don't care about you. I want what you can give for me. I want your stuff. What you have is more important than you are. So when the boy asked the father to divide the property and to give him what was coming to him right now, he was treating his father legally, socially, relationally as if he were dead. You, you could say it, I'm overstating it, but he, but he killed the father so he could go off to the party. So here goes the boy with what he has off to seek his fortune. And we think we've heard this story before because there is a recurring pattern in Scripture. It's very familiar. Where the younger brother supplants the older brother. We read this and think that's probably what's going to happen here. Through ingenuity, through scandalous scheming, through brashness, which he's already displayed, through sheer grit or by pulling himself up by his own bootstraps, he is going to make something with himself out of what has been given to him by his father. We've heard this story before. It's the story of of Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, Jacob second. They were twins. The word Jacob means cheater. 
And Jacob connived and schemed his way into getting what really belonged to his brother. It's the story also of Jacob's progeny, Joseph, this self-serving, egocentric dreamer who's done in by his jealous older brothers, but then the little brother ends up being the lieutenant governor of Egypt. He's done all right by himself, hasn't he? It's the story of David, the teenager who whipped the pride of the Philistine army, that giant named Goliath. David was the youngest in the family. And as a boy whipping the giant, we see that he is the future king of Israel. So there's a pattern here we recognize easily. It's happened before. It's probably going to happen again. This boy, in spite of the rudeness to his father, in essence killing him off legally, is going to take what stuff has been given to him and make something of himself. He's going to do all right. But you know that he doesn't. You know that he doesn't. The descriptive language of the King James Version cannot be improved upon when it says that he wasted his substance in riotous living. What he lost was not his inheritance. He did not squander away the estate. He did not get rid of his stuff irresponsibly. He wasted his substance in riotous living. What he had from the Father was not just stuff. It was substance. And this is when the second death takes place, the death of the party animal. At first, he doesn't realize that he's dying. He's been given a terminal diagnosis, but he doesn't get it. He's smiling all the way to his own funeral. It's a It's a slow and painful death in which he retains consciousness and at one point becomes aware of the death that's overtaking him, but by this time it's too late to escape its clutches and he sinks down deeper and deeper and realizes how blind, how oblivious, how foolish, how stupid he was, how blind he was to how life works. And what reality is. How blind he was to the importance of being responsible. Now he knows that money doesn't grow on trees. Mark it down. Party animals never think about the bar tab during happy hour. He didn't. The cruel irony is that he had it all and thought he needed more and now he has nothing and there is nobody around to give him anything. And all the people who drank his beer and ate his food and caroused with the women that he produced are nowhere to be found. They told him to drop dead and treated him as if he were nobody. Then you see what kind of animal... This partier is. He is a pig. He joins the company of the swine, literally, in order to be able to survive. 
How did things go so wrong? We've watched enough 30-minute TV shows at this point to hope for a scriptwriter to come in and make this turn out okay. You know, a, a touched by an angel episode where somebody shows up and it's a, it's a miracle. It's something that we didn't expect. Maybe, um, may, maybe that other famous story of Jesus, the Good Samaritan, could, could intersect with this story so that when that Samaritan's traveling down the road and sees the broken and wounded body in the gutter... Instead, this time he looks out in a field of pigs and he sees a pig that looks like somebody's son and he goes out there and he, he pulls him out of the mud and he, he cleans him up and puts an arm around him and takes him to IHOP for breakfast and everything's going to be okay. Or, or maybe we would hope that somebody could write this story in such a way that the, the pig farmer who has the capital gets together with this poor boy who has the great idea of coming up with a new and improved version of Perina pig chow to market to the world's hog farmers. And, you know, this, this boy in the pig pen has the idea and the farmer has the capital and together they're going to make something of themselves and it, it doesn't happen that way. Now, this is a story that burrows underneath human despair. It's a death of the most desperate kind in which this boy is now among the walking dead And yet one thing he can still do is to hope. He hasn't lost the ability to hope. He hopes that he can be a a zombie slave or he hopes that he can be a cadaverous hired hand and work for somebody else. And he realizes what he has to do. He, He writes a speech that he's going to make. Have you ever done that? Write a speech in your mind and rehearse it thinking how you're going to say it and present it. He's going to cop a plea and head back to a place where a cherished son, now dead, once lived. And he does that. He's going to go back home. After a very long journey, he tops the hill to a familiar place. And we realize that Thomas Wolfe is right because you cannot go home again. Hear me clearly. There's not a homecoming in this story. There is a home going. Before this boy can go around to the back door with his hat in his hand and fill out the job application form, the home goes out to him. The Bible tells us that when he was at a distance, the father looked out and saw him. And he ran out to greet this long lost son. This is a man who never read Aristotle who said great men don't run in public. Because he ran out to bring the home to the boy. And the father humiliates himself. He hugs this boy and he kisses him and he carries on like a woman. What a foolish man this is. He doesn't even take time to give him the obligatory lecture about how wrong he has been and how he had his mother worried sick and he doesn't even take enough time to test whether he is sincere or not, to scold him for shaming the family. This man says, let's have a party. A robe 
a ring and a rack of ribs and let's get on with it. And this is where the third death occurs. There are three deaths, I told you. And this is the death of the fattened calf, which I like to think was the older brother's 4-H project. What else is a fattened calf good for but to stand around in a feed stall and at a moment's notice drop dead when there needs to be a party? And this fattened calf shows us what the kingdom of God is all about. It tells us that God is having a great time and just dying to let everybody in. Three deaths, three resurrections. The father and the son and the fattened calf. Although the fattened calf does come back in the form of a T-bone steak, but there's a new life, so to speak. And if you get into this scene, you can hear the laughter. The music is very pleasant. It's upbeat. You can smell the aroma coming off the grill. And then in the midst of this kind of upbeat, happy party music, it moves to a minor key. Just picture in your mind or try to hear in your mind Andrew Lloyd Webber's mournful tune from the Phantom of the Opera. That's what it sounds like because because now we meet the party pooper. You've met the party animal, now we meet the party pooper. Something's different around this place. And he begins to ask some of the people, what's going on around here? And listen to what the response is. Your brother, your brother, your brother has come home. I cannot believe this. What is wrong with you people? Having a party? And then he says to the father, not my brother, your son. Your son has disgraced this family. Let's show a little respect and be responsible. And you know what the party pooper's problem is? He just won't die. He will not let go and die. See, he's holding on to what passes for life. He has a white-knuckled vice grip on this life of his. And those who think they can make their lives based on their merits, their honor, their worthiness, their accomplishments are just dead wrong. Because grace operates by raising the dead. Nobody gets kicked out of the party for having lived a rotten life and nobody is admitted to the party for having lived a good life. And this is where the second home going takes place. Just as the father went out away from the house to greet the party animal, the father now goes out away from the party to greet the party pooper. And the father entreats this older son my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, this brother of yours, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. What a beautiful pronouncement of both grace and judgment. There is a place for you, for all of us, at the party. But if you think that you can make your life the basis of a relationship with God, you're wrong. What the party pooper was so smug and not wasting, he had wasted all along because he didn't understand what it was all about. The party pooper wasted his substance as much in counting the beans and balancing the ledger sheet as did the party animal in riotous living. Those who were in the party had died. And they were having a good time. And the one who thought he was alive and being responsible with what he had was miserable. His party was a pity party. Because he refused to die to the stupid rules of the way life is supposed to be. And so he should have done himself and everybody else there a favor by shutting up, dropping dead, and grabbing a plate of barbecue. But he couldn't do it. This is where we have to let this story surprise us once again. It always has a fresh hearing. We think that we've heard this before, and we know how it's supposed to turn out, and that Jesus, when he told it, showing it's not these religious leaders who've been so responsible who are God's favorite. This is an upside down kingdom. So God favors the lowly, the sinners, those people that we think are scandalous. That's the way grace operates. But hold on just a minute. Think again. This story is never resolved. I keep reading it and reading it and reading it and it just leaves me hanging For the invitation is the same for both. And we never learn the response of the party pooper, the older brother. So this story is not about the party animal or the party pooper, but it's about the party giver, the host. And that is the father. And he is the father not because he can reject and judge, but because he initiates and he accepts and he loves. And so in this somewhat scandalous story, we have to come to terms with the one who absolutely squandered his life and yet has given it back. How fair is that? And we also have to come to terms with the one who should be rejected because of his legalism, but in the end, he still has it all, his inheritance. And the father goes out for both boys. And it's he, the father, not the party animal, who gets the last laugh. And why does the father get the last laugh? Because the Bible tells us that it brings God great pleasure when his people dwell in unity and take their places of honor at the table. And still, it will bring the father great pleasure if you will join them. So go ahead and die that you might be the life of the party. Shall we pray? Today, Lord, again, confront us with the scandal of your grace. Shake us away from our sensibilities and our security 
Lord, rescue us from the styes in which we are stuck with swine. Move us through your spirit in ways that we cannot move ourselves. And Lord, knowing that we are loved and accepted and we have an inheritance, let us go away from the house in which we dwell to offer this good news to others who are still looking. Thank you for your love, which we see through Christ, not only through his teaching, but through his life and his death, his resurrection, and his coming again. And we ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen.